Hey, this is Jim Eskimen, and this is the uh, the Jim Eskimen podcast you're listening to. It is, I think it's still the 8th of September. Anyway, close enough. Uh, and uh, that means it's my birthday week. And uh, this is not an invitation for you to send a car around to have me picked up, taken to the airport, uh, my bags packed, put on a private jet, and flown to Barbados. However, I, I could make it work out for a few days. I'm delighted this week also we uh, went to the Burbank Film Festival, uh, sixth annual Burbank Film Festival, international film festival, mind you, and uh, the, the Impression Guys, my, the series that I star in with Ross Marquand, uh, won the best, uh, what was it, best short comedy new media entry, so best short new media comedy, that was it. It's not one of those things that just rattles off your tongue, but maybe after a few days in Barbados, I'll be able to say these things much more clearly. Anyway, it was very thrilling. We received an award, and uh, we have a little trophy now, and that's, you know, it's the first film festival we entered, first one we won, so it's pretty exciting. And so I'm very grateful, and we're all grateful to the Burbank Film Festival and to my friend Jeff Rector, who's one of the founders of that festival, who did a great job, and and whom I did not bribe, but perhaps I will next year. Um, anyway, that was a lot of fun. I got to do some impressions beforehand and everything. And uh, there were some really intense uh, honorees there, some marvelous people. The guy that directed Iron Man 3, Shane Black, was there. He was a presenter. Uh, Stan Winston, the late Stan Winston, the great makeup artist, was awarded. And, um, gosh, writers and some really incredible people. So we were in good good company. It was fun. Uh, as I said, it's my birthday. Uh, this lifetime, I have completed... 55 years. I'm 55 years in. So I'm going to keep going because I, you know, you get a lot of momentum at 55. Um, you remember when it was a fantasy or a weird memory? When I was younger, Gerald R. Ford was the president. First of all, was that a hallucination? Gerald R. Ford. And uh, if I recall correctly, Gerald R. Ford uh, spoke somewhat like this. I don't know who sounds like this today. But Gerald R. Ford was a kind of a mush-mouthed president who for, first thing he did was pardon Richard Nixon. Thank you, Gerald. Thanks so much. I would have done the same to you, but you were not a crook. That's okay, Dick. Just hide out in San Clemente for a while. I will. I will. Believe me. Mr. President. What is it, Henry? <laughs> I'm just always by your side. I wanted to let you know. Thank you very much. Gerald R. Ford had a big thing about we were going to save, uh, we were going to whip inflation now. And I don't know what was going on in the 70s, the gas crisis, like we don't have a gas crisis now. That was the gas crisis when they were beginning to figure out, how are we going to have a gas crisis? What would, what would the aspects of a good gas crisis be? They've settled on uh, scarcity. And so I remember there were long lines down Reseda Boulevard and other places, Ventura Boulevard. And boy, the gas was probably a, you know, a shocking 56 cents a gallon back then. But there was also this thing, the 55 mile an hour speed limit, which was supposed to wrest our economy out of the doldrums and, and you know, retrieve to us and our mighty nation uh, control over fossil fuels. I, I don't know. I, I don't understand it today. And it all seems like a dream, except that we still have 55 mile an hour speed limits on most of our highways out here anyway, uh, which everyone ignores. Uh, you can go, you can go 65, 70, without getting a, a blink from anybody. In fact, if you go, if you make the mistake of going 55 miles an hour, 
you're in deep trouble because you will have some truck or some uh, 4x4 riding your butt uh, all the way to your destination and perhaps throwing things at you. So, you know, it's a funny thing. It's a funny holdover. And I remember I associated very much with Gerald R. Ford. If I'm not correct, perhaps any political scientist students out there, uh, please let me know. So this lifetime, I have been, uh, I've lived in Los Angeles. I've lived in Santa Cruz, California. I've lived in uh, Spain, both the countryside of Galicia. I've lived in Madrid uh, for a while. And I lived in New York City for a great hustle bustle 10 years that went by in about a half an hour where I got married and um, then moved back to Los Angeles to basically the same place that I, exactly the same place where I started. And uh, it's an odd thing. I've lived in some weird places and now I'm sort of settled. I'm really very settled here, but I would be, I would be happy to move somewhere else and see it. if I could find a place that had as many friends there, I guess I would, uh, I'd love to live in England. I'd love to live in London for a while just to, just to kind of know my way around, I think would be spectacular. Portland seems like a good place. Who asked? I don't know. But I'm just thinking about being 55. And being 55 isn't what it used to be. My God, you know, when I was a kid growing up, a 55-year-old person was an elderly, staid, very conservative, you know, very brittle kind of entity. You know, Ozzie and Harriet were probably 55. Uh, those of you who remember that odd show. My God, what was that a paradigm of? Um, and 55 today means... You know, you, you're uh, you're working, you're busy, you're not relaxed, <laughs> you're hustling. If you're like me, you're always looking for the next thing. Um, a lot of the times, the next things for me in my career now, I, I do a lot of audiobooks. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I try to listen to the audiobooks that I've done. I'm, I'm way behind. But I listen to them, uh, well, all right, one, I like, I do like the sound of my own voice. I find it comforting. Uh, and then two, professionally, I feel like I need to get a lot better. Uh, I feel like I'm pretty good, but I know that I can delude myself. And so I like to listen to them to see, was that as good as I thought it was? Because obviously, when I finish an audio book, if I'm like a lot of people, perhaps you think you're doing your best. So you think that's the best I've ever done. That's the best technique I've ever had. I really excelled and I'm proud of myself. You get very Jerry Seinfeld about it. But I recently woke up, you know, I, I listened to one of the first audiobooks that I did for Blackstone Audio, a marvelous series called The World Made by Hand series by James Howard Kunstler, who I've met subsequently. And uh, I always remembered that first book that I did for him as being really good. Like, I mean, the book was good, but then I did a really good job. So, and I've sort of had that in the back of my mind that, you know, I really kicked ass on that book. So four or five, six years later, I listened to it again. Not so good. Not bad, but I'm better now. So, and I do it differently. So then, when the third uh, in the series of his books came around to be done, which I lobbied for, I wanted to do another one. I did it differently, and I did it a little more intimately. And I, I don't know. Does I'm not going to bore you with my technique, but I, I definitely changed things and tried to make it better. And hopefully, it is a little bit better. Haven't listened to it yet, um, and hopefully, in five or six years, I'll be embarrassed by it. See, that's the horrible thing about the arts and perhaps life in general is that, uh, you know, one of two things happen. You look back on five or six years in the past, like Matthew McConaughey, he's going to look back. He's going to look ahead to 10 years and he's going to be, he's either going to feel like that guy is a great guy or that guy really screwed up. 
So I'm going to hopefully look back at, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to look back at a book that you'd recorded and go, wow, I can't do that anymore. Gee, that was my high point, and now I'm flubby. Anyway, I just listened to another, I'm in the middle of listening to a book I recorded earlier this year, which had three narrators, which is unusual, uh, Robert Foss, myself, and Bronson Pinchot. Bronson Pinchot does a ton of books. He's extremely talented. He's won lots of awards. We finally met last year, year before. And uh, this book is translated from the German. It's called F, just the initial F, a novel. I, I can't remember the man's name that wrote it, um, although they tell you at the top of every disc, so I really should know. But um, anyway, three narrators, and it is a really wild book. I have to say, whoever cast us together, somebody at Blackstone, maybe it was Brian Barney or Grover Gardner, I don't know who it was, did a brilliant job of casting. It, it we're exactly the right readers for those sections, and that was unusual. And Bronson Pinchot, big, big props out to Bronson. Fantastic, brilliant job of narrating from the point of view of this very, very neurotic, crazy, criminal, suppressive character. And I tell you, I've, I've learned a lot just from listening to the book. Not about audiobooks. I've learned a lot about life. I mean, it's, it's really deep stuff. So if you want to listen to something very unusual, very outside the box, pick up the book, the audiobook F, and I'll try to get you the name of the person. Blackstone Audio, that's the name of the company. F by can't remember his name. I had a surprise party uh, given to me, or I, I was surprised by a surprise party on my 40th birthday, which seems like about five weeks ago. And uh, it shocks me to think that it was 15 years ago, but I had tons of people showed up, and it was a beautiful thing that happened that day. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where something marvelous is going to happen to you. And, and by marvelous, in this case, I mean just something really sweet and nice. So, like, you know, I don't know how many people came. But there was a lot of people in a big house. They all waited and surprised me. And the surprise was potent because I really wasn't, ex I really wasn't expecting it. It almost got tipped off, but it didn't. But all day long, I was feeling buoyed by something. We weren't going anywhere special. I had just totally devalued the whole 40 thing, and I was in expectation of absolutely nothing. And then I opened the door to my friend's house, and there was, you know, scores and scores of people. All during the day beforehand, I had been just very, feeling very, I don't know, just like I was in a, a, a spell, not a spell. That's, that infers that I was non-compass mentis. Uh, I felt like I was just sort of supported in some way. And thinking back on it afterwards, I went, oh, gosh, there were a lot of people that at one time or another during that day knew they were going to go to my surprise birthday party. And the aura that they, I don't know, is something very metaphysical. I felt like benevolent people were protecting me with a kind of a force field of niceness. I'm sure there's something to that. It, and I, I've been feeling it lately. I felt it uh, all this week. And particularly right before we got this award in the award ceremony. And usually at award ceremonies, I've been to many of them, not, not that I've received a lot of awards, but, you know, you're rooting for people. I went to the Emmys with my mom, I don't know, three times. Golden Globes, we never won. You always really want your mom to win. But, but there's always a suspicion or a kind of a feeling of doubt. And, uh, you know, maybe it's not going to happen. And uh, even sort of, uh, I don't know, cynicism. 
And in my case, the other night, I was like, I turned to Tamara and I said, I think we're going to win this award. There was no evidence. There was no reason to believe that. I just, I could tell there was an overarching, permeating feeling of sort of easefulness. And that uh, I translated to mean, Man, we're going to win this award. And, uh, and it happened, and that was nice. And other good things have been happening, little things. I'm going to go on a speaking tour next year. That's exciting. Guess I'll have to learn how to speak. Um, so anyway, I hope you're having a wonderful week. And, you know, just for fun, you can always uh, think well of others. You know, I, you do anyway. It's automatic. You know, when you think of your friends, you automatically think well of them. But um, I do this sometimes. I, I sort of, uh, I find that I'm thinking about a person a lot. Not even necessarily always someone that I am friendly with. Maybe somebody that just bugs me. And I find they're on my mind a lot. And maybe this is a very uh, religious thing to do. I don't know. I, you know, I think good thoughts at them. And then I have to figure out, well, what's a good thought? Because I haven't worked this out completely. Well, it's a good thought to think about someone who, who you don't really care for. <laughs> so I think, I hope that you have the kind of day that you want to have today, you schmuck. Or you know, I, hope that, I hope that you come around and that you're, your thinking gets clearer and you suddenly realize, you know, that everything's going to be okay. I don't know, just benevolent things like that. And then, of course, to my friends and people that I admire, even people I have no connection to at all, I try to think, you know, if I, they're on my mind, I go, boy, I hope he has a wonderful day today. I hope she has a terrific day. I hope, isn't that, doesn't it sound namby-pamby? I think it sounds like the definition of namby-pamby. However, as I was talking about before, maybe it has some power. Certainly, affinity can cut through a lot of different barriers. So um, let's practice that this week. What the hell? Could be anybody. Could be an animal. Could be, it could be a bunch of celery. Hi, radio listeners. This is Todd Strumley, and I'm out on location today. Uh, we're out in Paradise, New Mexico, in the backyard of uh, Eric Slevowitz. And Mr. Slevowitz is showing us some of the some of the things he plans to use tonight. Uh, in his musical presentation. Uh, and uh, would you describe, Mr. Slebowitz, exactly what it is that we're looking at out here in your, in your capacious backyard? Yeah. Well, in my, uh, in my backyard, in my capacious backyard, what I got was a bunch of uh, 2x4s, 4x8 uh, panels, drywall, some lathe, uh, patching tools, some mud, compound, ripsaw, I got a Molly screws, Edison bolts, some conduit. It's essentially hardware. It's, it looks like a vast landscape full of uh, the detritus of some huge yeah. construction. What is that? Oh, I just <laughs> the castings hey, off. This of- is, hey, this is good stuff. Here. This oh no, I didn't detritus. mean to disparage. I, I just mean it, it looks. You know, like- these are three penny nails, pal. They're copper coated. They ain't gonna rust on you. In, in any case, for the radio listeners, let's right. just say that we look like we're at a construction site here, and yet this is yeah. uh, the equipment that you're going to use for tonight's concert. Yeah, for the night's concert. I mean, everything you hear right here, I could be, I could put up a nice tool shed. But instead, I'm going to be using all this stuff for my passion, my love, my art. I'm going to be using it for the hardware philharmonic. I'm going to be creating a, a classical piece of music using the tools you see before me 
in my capacious backyard. And here, and it's tonight uh, for the listeners at eight o'clock at the Hector R. Momsen Auditorium yeah, downtown. Don't be late. Here at, don't be late because we go up at eight shop. Paradise, you New know? Mexico. It's going to be a, a, a rather lengthy program as well. I'm looking here yeah. at the flyer and. Uh, what is the first uh, number that you'll be performing? And by the way, is it just you performing, or are there other members of the oh, yeah. Hardware Philharmonic? I imagine oh, yeah. you probably it's, have to have yeah, quite a crew. It's Carpenter's Local 285. They're going to all be with me. Oh, okay. There, so it's a whole union. The whole union. We've got Electrical Local uh, 729, and then we've got the Plumbers Union out there as well. They're going to be essentially doing what we call the woodwind section, mm-hmm. but they're going to be, uh, they're gonna be uh, plumbers are going to be over there. Okay. Well, we opened the show uh, with an overture of Act One of La Boheme, and I'm going to be doing that on a rip saw, uh, skill saw, uh, jackhammer, uh, nail gun, uh, a lathe, and a couple assorted other things. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a bandsaw and a, a power wench. And then a couple of saws. It's, it's amazing because when I look out at this landscape of what looks like discarded uh, junk and machinery, uh, the last thing I think of is a delightful musical evening of uh, uh, haunting melodies. And uh, Well, you see, that's where you and me are different. You know, I look out there and I see music. I see, I see you know, to me, uh, I, I see uh, uh, the, the, the beautiful sounds, uh, uh, something created. Because, you know... Music don't last forever. You know, you hear music unless you record it or something. But what's the beauty of what we do is that we play music, and at the end of the evening, you can walk away with something built. I mean, after the, after the Overture of La Boheme, uh, we're going to have a nice cabinet made, and we're going to give it away to a lucky uh, person in the audience. Well, that's terrific, and I can't think of uh, any uh, musical act that's come to Paradise in New Mexico that's had uh, quite the... Uh, the breadth of, of what you offer, at least, you know, I haven't heard you yet, but I can only imagine from your description and what I've read that it's going to be a terrific, terrific evening. I really recommend anybody who's in the neighborhood, if you hear some hammering, please come on by. And then uh, we go into Act 2 is going to be beautiful. Um, everybody's going to be coming out in uh, tuxedos, uh, knee pads, and welded masks. And we're going to be welding a section of uh, a Mozart piano concerto. Okay, during that short break, I went off and uh, went on to audible.com. The novel I was telling you about, the uh, audiobook that I'm listening to that features me as one of three narrators, is called F by Daniel Kelman, K-E-H-L-M-A-N. Maybe another N at the end because it's German. That was put another N. It's a spare N uh, that the Germans sometimes need because, well, you can misplace an N. So that's a great, a great uh, audiobook. Well, the impression, guys, continues to be my main focus of uh, my hopes and dreams. Uh, People seem to like the show so much. I enjoy doing it so much. I've learned so much, and I intend to learn as much as I can. Anyway, we're going to be dropping, as they say, or launching. uh, Are you launching or dropping? Uh, We're going to be putting up onto uh, YouTube again seven more episodes starting October 14th. And that first episode won this uh, nice award at the Burbank Film Festival. It features Kevin Pollack, by the way, as an, in a nice guest-starring role. And then we also have uh, Weird Al Yankovic, who now really is just known as Al Yankovic. He's not so weird anymore. He's a, he's a mofo. He's a heavy hitter. My God, he, he shows up everywhere. He's just all over the place. He's always creative. I don't know him very well, but I've run into him many times. And, geez, he's, um, he's, a, he's a force. And he's very, very funny in our show. 
Beth Riesgraf is also a wonderful actress, and she's guest starring on the show. Anyway, you'll see. I don't want to force it, but um, I want to get you all lathered up. I want you to get kind of crazy and, and really wanting to see it on October 14th. And uh, binge watch away. Anyway, I'm going to be having some guests on my podcast one of these days. I'm doing these rather impulsively, but um, Piat from The Impression Guys is going to come on the show. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't frankly know how we're going to be comfortable in this booth together. It's not a big booth, but luckily we're we're good friends, and if I if I shower, I think he'll he'll do it. Um, anyway, thanks so much for listening again. This is I I realize this is not the most cutting edge podcast in the world. I appreciate you listening, whoever you are. Uh, thanks for subscribing if you have. I'm trying to think if I have any new impressions for you. Oh, I was watching uh, some movie. Oh, Man of Steel. Not a good movie, unfortunately. Some good things, but in general, I don't know. The Superman myth is being really eroded, I think. Whenever Superman can have a big fight in a city that, Metropolis, okay, which looks like New York, and which now really looks like New York with the special effects that are so hyper-photorealistic, and he and, and the character played by Michael Shannon, which is my long way of getting to my Michael Shannon impression, have this huge fight, and they knock down buildings. They tear New York to pieces, in this movie, without any regard for the populace. And that, to me, is not Superman. Superman has a fight with a guy, an evil villain, but always remembers that, you know what, I better not let that building fall on top of that parking lot, or I better not let that building hit that other building, because there might be people in there. Because, of course, there are lots of people there. So I was a little dismayed that he he was so uh, cavalier (laughs) with his battles. Anyway, Michael Shannon... I realize Michael Shannon has, uh, I noticed that he, he covers his teeth with his, with his lips, both sets of teeth. And he has a, I don't know if he's from Boston or where, but he has a little bit of a, little bit of an accent in there. Superman, he called him. I thought he called him Superman. Anyway, don't know if there's much demand for a Michael Shannon impression. You know, it's a miracle that any movies are any good. Having now worked on the impression guys and worked on lots of movies and, and TV shows, there's so many places for it to go wrong. It's like being on a freeway where every five feet there's an exit inviting you to go off and have a burger or go and see you know, this amazing show. There's all these opportunities for you to get offline in making a movie and make the kind of error that will just cripple the whole thing. So when a movie is really good, it is a, it is a great miracle. Maybe that's the fun of it. I mean, maybe it's like sports, you know, when... And the little when the ball goes in the net, people go crazy because they've been trying to get they've been watching the World Cup and they've been gripping their horn <laughs> trying to get the ball to go in the net for two and a half hours or whatever it is. It seems like days go by before someone scores and everyone all falls to pieces because it's so difficult. And that's the way it is making a movie. I think there's so many pieces that have to fit in perfectly and everyone has to get along. They have to be in communication. They've got to all be on the same page. And then and then it can still get screwed up in the editing, in the marketing. You know, the theater could burn down or the, you know, the speakers could blow out or suddenly your star can be arrested for doing something reprehensible. You know, it just goes on and on anyway. So that's why I think we we respect great directors and that's why I respect a great movie. It's just like a miracle. It's like the burning bush. It's like burning bush. <laughs> I'll tell you what, every time I used to go uh, down to Gulf of Mexico, take a swim, <laughs> I get sunburned. I'd be the burning bush. (laughs) Hey, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. I'll be back next week with something really significant. You'll see. 
Thanks, as always, to Tate Rupert for uh, improvising with me and to Jeff Levin for that fantastic music. Thanks to Ben Shelton and Ross Marquand and Soul Pancake for creating the impression, guys. I'm having a ball. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.